0: This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs don't wait visit ibxmedicare.com star
2: every year Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal this is a paid endorsement talk radio 1210 Wphd Wphd HD wogl HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie.
3: Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Well, it's springtime and we're grateful for the beautiful weather that's coming our way. And now that COVID restrictions have eased, it's great to be out and about gathering with family and friends. And as we've been saying, during the pandemic, a lot of people hesitated to come to the hospital, the doctor's office, for routine care, and sometimes even sick visits. Well, now's a good time to get back on track. Schedule those checkups, routine cancer screenings, and you know my favorite, colonoscopy. We've talked about the procedure itself, the PrEP, but I thought it would be helpful to talk about the anesthesia, whether it's for a procedure procedure an operation, or even during a visit to the emergency department. Today, we have a wonderful guest, Dr. Angelo Adamakakis, from the Department of Anesthesiology at Cooper University Hospital. He's an associate professor of clinical anesthesiology and an assistant professor of urology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. He's the section head of anesthesiology in their special procedure unit, and he's been recognized with multiple awards for excellence in teaching all facets of anesthesiology to medical students, residents, nurse anesthetists, and is a mentor to junior faculty. All this while managing to slip in an MBA. Fortunately for me, I had the pleasure of working with Dr. Adam for nine years when he was an assistant medical director for the GI division at Jefferson. He oversaw endoscopy cases in a very busy unit and I always knew my patients were in the best of hands for safety with their sedation and for compassion with their anxieties. Welcome, Angelo. Great to have you here today.
4: Thank you for having me, Marianne. It's uh, it's really a pleasure and an honor. And uh, that was a pretty wonderful introduction you gave. Uh, and I may have uh, something to say back at you. You were a pleasure to work with and you were so kind to your patients, and you always explained everything very nicely to them. So right back at you.
3: Oh, there you go. Well, see, I was going to offer to be your stage mother, but I don't think you need one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Angelo, I have to also share with our listeners that you're a man of many talents and interest. and I recently learned that you attended the Philadelphia College of Art. I am so jealous. And then you worked as a medical illustrator for six years. I mean, we know that medicine is an art and a science, but that's pretty, pretty impressive. How Did, did you know Leonardo da Vinci? How did
4: you sneak that information out?
3: I, I You
4: are a pretty smart cookie, I'll tell you.
3: I have friends in high places. I'm
4: old, but I'm not quite as old as Leonardo. Uh, uh-huh. But, you know, I'm up in years.
3: Uh huh. I just meant, you know, you could probably draw anything. See, I was going to ask you if you would do a little... Portrait of me, but I'm afraid it would end up looking like a colon or something. (laughs) But on to anesthesiology. There is so much to this that people just don't know. If somebody's in the emergency room with new chest pain, we do testing, and you're the patient, and somebody says, we have to get you right to the operating room to save your life. You don't have a chance to ask about the anesthesia, what to expect, what. Uh, could be side effects, et cetera. What what are the positives as well? But with elective procedures, we do have that luxury. So you are a master at explaining, um, and that's why I I invited you to be our guest. What is the role of anesthesia in general?
4: Well, we have very little time to spend with uh, our patients uh, because we typically may run two, three, sometimes four rooms all at the same time. So mm-hmm. the time that we spend with our patient is very limited. You want to get maximize the amount of information you get out of them, for example. Um, have you had anesthesia before? Have there been any problems? Have there, have you are you on any medicines? and did you take any medicines today? Uh, do you have any loose teeth? Uh, do you have any problems breathing? Uh, do you have any heart history? Uh, have you ever had a heart attack? Do, are you on dialysis? Some of the information is in the patient's chart. So sometimes it it's helpful if you review the chart before you see the patient so you have an idea of what questions to ask. And some of them are really personal. You don't want to discuss personal issues with them in front of others. And the, the interview area is not always a super private area. In other words, the interview doesn't happen in a private room in most instances. You have essentially a curtain dividing each space. So, as mm-hmm. you and I both know, those are not soundproof. So, you have to one keep your volume low, and two, you know, make the question the questions less personal and more direct. So, um, in addition to uh, what they can expect pre-op, uh, you you discuss with them that you make sure that they're comfortable, that they're safe, that they're not going to have any pain during the procedure, they're not going to feel or hear anything. Again, depending on what procedure they're having. If, for, some, for example, the, the procedure is a spinal, we often will do those with sedation. But there's sometimes that the patient actually prefers to be cognizant. They want to see uh, the, what's going on on the screen, for example, and, and they want to be able to know that their surgical team is there the whole time. Mm. Sometimes it's, it's to their benefit to be sedated because oftentimes if they are doing something like that, okay, like with a spinal or an epidural, for example, they, they may hear things that are not in their best interest. The, the other issue is that uh, if they do decide to have a spinal, you can discuss with them and saying, would you like to have uh, sedation with that? Would you like to be awake for that? Most people, and that's in general would like to be asleep for their procedure, it, it takes away a lot of their anxiety, it takes away a lot of the, the noises that, that you may hear in the background, uh, outside conversations that don't necessarily pertain to you, but you may think that they might. So it's in your best interest if you do have something like this to decide to just go to sleep, enjoy the ride, and don't be uh, uh, afraid that you have someone that is qualified to be next to you as a guardian angel to make sure that you're safe.
3: Hence the name Dr. Angelo the angel um, <laughs> so basically for for our listeners anesthesiology, the study of anesthesia is um, offers several um, positives. It's not just um, to reduce anxiety and, and make you relaxed it's for pain control. Right, so that the doctor can Indeed. make an incision or fix a broken hip or whatever the, the case. Um, and in, in some cases, I guess depending how, what medicines are used or how deep the sedation, it can um, provide adequate muscle relaxation depending on the procedure or the surgery as well. And all of those things that you offer and provide, you have to follow the patient's vital signs, their oxygen levels, the heart rate, and the heart rhythm, two different things. We talked about that last week, blood pressure, temperature, how do you manage to do all that? It's, it's, um, I don't want to call it a three ring circus, but you do have to be able to multitask very efficiently and effectively.
4: It's a complicated monitor system in the sense that you're you're monitoring uh, in several screens, uh, not just uh, the blood pressure, uh, not just the heart rate and the function of the heart during the procedure, the oxygen saturation of the individual, but also the depth of anesthesia. Uh, We now have monitoring devices that are able to show us at any given point during the procedure, what is the brain activity or the depth of anesthesia at any given moment. So, you know, you've heard books and you've seen movies of these individuals, you know, being... Uh, cognizant but unable to move mm-hmm. and that instills a fear in many people thinking, Oh my God, you know, what if that were to happen to me? You know, what could happen? I would be I would be frightened. What would I do? And I can't talk. But here's the upside. The reality of it is we have monitoring devices that will allow us to monitor depth of anesthesia. So the safety quotient is huge. It's much better. So it's another thing that would explain to patients.
3: Sure, and the technology in um, equipment for monitoring patients has skyrocketed exponentially improved, even since I started doing procedures. Let's take a little break and we'll be
5: right back and learn more about anesthesia. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net.
6: Hi, I'm Dr. Denny Carice, Chief Science Officer at Recovery Centers of America, and I'm here as your addiction expert. I've been asked what happens to the brain when people do drugs or alcohol for a long time. We know the most about alcohol and it can really destroy parts of the brain. You can develop something called Wernicke's syndrome and with that, you have trouble remembering and concentrating and trouble with coordination. The good news about Wernicke's is that it can be absolutely cured, but the bad news is you have to catch it within two or three days of having symptoms. Otherwise, it goes on to develop Korsakoff's, which is also known as wet brain, but the fact that you have to catch it within two or three days is why about 80 to 90 percent of people with Wernicke's do go on to develop Korsakoff's. And Korsakoff's is a tremendously debilitating disease where people have trouble with daily functions, with dressing themselves, with cognitive abilities. It really impairs the person to the point where they need 24-hour care. We know a lot about amphetamines and cocaine as well and what they do in the brain. So one of the problems with them starts with bone density, muscle loss, osteoporosis. Another thing that happens with cocaine and amphetamines is that they can affect the heart. You can have a heart attack or your aortic blow which leads you into surgery which is of course not what you planned when you started using drugs, right? it's been shown that people that use a lot of amphetamines their brain ages twice as fast as folks who don't use them. Perhaps one of the biggest things with cocaine and amphetamines and methamphetamine is that it really depletes the dopamine in your system. So the dopamine in your system is what enables us all to feel pleasure in everyday activities. What amphetamines and cocaine can do is deplete that dopamine in your body leading to an inability to find pleasure in everyday life. If you or a loved one has a problem with alcohol or drugs, call 1-888-RECOVERY today or go to recoverycentersofamerica.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. That number again is 1-888-RECOVERY.
1: I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com/star.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid advertisement
3: And welcome back to your radio doctor. Our guest today, Dr. Angelo Adonokakis, and we're talking about anesthesia. And so, Angelo, even since I started performing procedures a couple years ago, the equipment and monitoring have an intense focus on the anesthesia safety culture. So, I want people to listen to you today and feel um, at ease. And you can even monitor, you said you can monitor the depth of anesthesia, which is reflected by, I would guess, the oxygen levels. And now you can monitor carbon dioxide levels. Is that what you use to say the depth of?
4: What carbon dioxide level means is that when you're inhaling the oxygen, you have to exhale carbon dioxide. That means that you're actually exchanging. So you're ventilating. So the combination of those two, not just the oxygen saturation, but the end tidal CO2 device that mm-hmm. monitors the ex- expiratory aspect of the ventilation assures you that you're getting adequate exchange. Also, there's a something called malignant hyperthermia. So if you see that number go up really, really high, it becomes more concerning that there's something else going on. It's a very rare occurrence, and it happens uh, in my lifetime, in my experience, I've only seen it twice, and both patients did very well. But it has to do with having the experience to recognize something and deal with it right away. So now, the safety is huge.
3: Mm-hmm. And I know that, um, again, since I started doing procedures, the, the alarms that signal, you might be uh, checking the IV, and the alarm goes off. You turn your head for one second. Quick response. It's all built in. It's beautiful the way the system is. So if somebody's not breathing as well as you'd expect, they're not going to rid themselves of the CO2, the carbon dioxide, and you're going to see that level goes up, go up, and it's going to signal the alarm, and it's awesome. So when we talk about members of the anesthesia team, I know you said you're overseeing cases maybe uh, three or four rooms at a time. Who's giving the anesthesia? Tell us about who the team members are, if you would, and their roles.
4: The team members are board-certified nurse anesthetists who've had uh, training in ICU nursing, prior to going to nurse anesthetist school. So they're trained nurses that have advanced practice training as nurse anesthetists, and they can provide anesthesia under the supervision of physicians. The training is is wonderful in the sense that they have the ICU background. So they're familiar with infusions, they're familiar with very sick patients. And the collaboration is excellent. Because As long as you have good communication between the partners that are providing the anesthetic, you're in very good hands. Um, There's another part of the team that is often not talked about is our technicians. We have anesthesia technicians, so between each procedure, that team will come in and Make sure that this, the, the CO2 of the carbon dioxide absorber is, is, is changed. We have a fresh absorber. We have fresh airway system in, in installed. Make sure the machine is okay. Make sure we have an auxiliary tank, oxygen tank available should something happen to the machine. So therefore, there's another safety mechanism that applies that, about individuals that are trained technicians to manage and fix anesthesia devices.
3: Mm -hmm. On the spot. yes. And and you know what? I I love the questions that you ask. Um, You you mentioned some earlier. When the anesthesiologist meets the patient before the surgery, you ask a lot of questions. You ask the usual obvious health questions like, do you have sleep apnea? We have to be extra careful when we sedate you that we don't aggravate that. Um, Diabetes, any loose teeth, etc. And we always ask patients what medicines you're you're on, but also what over-the-counter medicines you take, what supplements do you take. That can have a huge effect on sedation and and treatment in general. But the one that we talked about the other day when we were deciding what topics to cover, we ask people: Do you smoke cigarettes? Do you drink alcohol? Illegal drugs? Because if a person ha- is a regular, uh, uh, what's the word I want
4: <laughs> user. Uh, Pardon? User.
3: There you go. If somebody drinks on a regular basis every day, even one or two drinks, their liver is revved up and yes. they're going to metabolize sedation more quickly and they might need more sedation and you need to know that in advance. Correct. So I was going to ask, how does alcohol... So we're asking patients to please be honest. We need to know to maximize your city. How much alcohol do you drink? And my other question is, does are do regular users of marijuana... Is that a question as well? Will that affect their, how much anesthesia it takes to c- get those, them in the right place?
4: Uh, those are very, very relevant questions and, and they make a, a significant difference. And there have been some studies done, uh, particularly more recently with uh as to the, the level of anesthesia that individuals require. With many states legalizing marijuana, I'm going to tra- I'm going to track that one first. Uh, there is significant number of people that are smoking, and they're very upfront about smoking marijuana, which is, you know, we're not there to judge them. We just want to make sure that we get them through safely. And the goal is to provide the best anesthetic possible. So if we know what's going on, we're going to make sure that they get the appropriate anesthesia that they need. There have been some studies done that indicate that someone that has a colonoscopy, for example, will require double or more of the Propofol sedation, if they smoke marijuana, hmm. which is a significant increase if you think about yes. it. And if they don't disclose it, they're not going to get enough of sedation. Now, granted, right. we have individuals in the room that can, will assess that. And if we if we know that they require more than the average bear, then you will, you give more. It, not everyone is going to disclose the truth to us in reference to, their, to their human behavior. nature. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's, it's the fear of being judged. And as long right. as they understand that we're not there to judge them, it's all good. Um, and in, in reference to the uh, alcohol business that you mentioned, uh, you are absolutely correct. If they're doing, if they're drinking alcohol, their their liver enzymes are, are uh, induced, if you will,
3: stimulated. yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And
4: therefore, you know, they tend to to uh, have more require more anesthesia of all types for that reason. Now, having mm-hmm. said this, if somebody comes in in an emergent situation and they're acutely intoxicated, then they would require less anesthesia. Mm.
3: Good point. Yeah, and I meant, and you mentioned malignant hyperthermia, meaning the person's body temperature is so high that's a, that's a big issue in itself. Is that why you ask patients? Have you or a relative ever had problems with anesthesia before? Yes. Is that the genetic component? Okay.
4: Yes. Yes. It and it has so, to
3: do, I'm sorry. Go on. Finish. I just want to say, so prior to a procedure or a surgery, how do you assess a person's risks? There's a category. There are categories, yes?
4: One of the questions you would ask is, have you ever had any problems with anesthesia in the past? Has any of your family members had any anesthesia problems with the past? Uh, if I may give you an example, this has to do with something completely different, but this is something that's very relevant with anesthesia, is we were doing electroconvulsive therapy on a young lady with a seizure disorder. She had a an instilled device in her brain to help her seizures from stop from, from happening. And uh, she came in because of severe depression. She was only 25 years old and, and just a lovely young lady, very pleasant. And we did the usual questions. Did you have any do you have any problems with anesthesia any in your family you have any problems with anesthesia and this interview was held with her mom present mm. so and and nothing you know and it was all no 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 and 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 that's fine sometimes people hear what they want to hear sometimes people are distracted so i'm not blaming anybody for not disclosing this information but anyway we did the uh, electroconvulsive therapy uh, the the procedure was done and it took her much longer than anticipated to start breathing mm. so the the drugs that we give during electroconvulsive therapy for for depression are very short acting so it was very curious so by deduction you think that it couldn't be the induction agent the induction agent lasts a very short time however we did we opted to make the decision that she was she had a sensitivity to succinylcholine, which is a paralytic agent. Right. So we gave her a sedative, we intubated her, put a breathing tube in place and secured her airway, uh, gave her an amnestic agent, and then started propofol infusion. I went outside to speak with her mom, and she said, and to tell her what happened. And her mom said, oh yes, that happened to my other daughter. Mm. She wouldn't gave, wake up from anesthesia for two days. Yikes. Which apparently she didn't think it was relevant to disclose mm. during the uh, the interview. And like I said earlier, people are very anxious. They don't exactly. necessarily remember things. And again, there's no blame here. No, But if it wasn't recognized, this would not have happened.
3: But Angela, that exact, you're saying exactly the mission of this show. I'm trying to help people know uh, you know, um if you've never had anesthesia before or you're nervous or you're in pain, you're gonna say, just take me to the OR, just just, you know, fix my broken leg or whatever it is. And they were trying to teach people to know what to ask. And and that's, you know, that's a great example to share. So I know there are four categories of anesthesia readiness that that you follow one being the most healthy with no major issues four being like you say dialysis or heart disease so we're going to come back after the break and talk about using that risk assessment how you decide which type of anesthesia to use depending on the type of surgery and the patient's risks so let's take a little break and thank you for listening
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
7: This is Emily Rubin, dietitian from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and the Philadelphia Academy of Dietetics and Nutrition presenting you with your nutrition tip of the week. So we are going to continue with our digestive enzymes, which ones to take and which ones maybe not so to take. So let's first talk about the lactase enzyme. The lactase enzyme is marketed for those who have lactose intolerance where after you consume a milk product such as milk, yogurt, ice cream, you may develop bloating, gas, abdominal distension, anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours after consuming these products. Lactose is the sugar found in dairy foods that actually cause the digestive symptoms. When you take this enzyme, it actually will break down that sugar that's causing the symptoms. The issue is depending on how, sever- how severe your lactose intolerance is, can affect the timing of when these pills are consumed. It may be easier to actually buy the product that already has the enzyme added to it, such as lactose-free milk and lactose-free cottage cheese. And something else people don't realize is hard cheeses such as cheddar, Parmesan, are actually naturally lactose-free because there's no lactose, there's no sugar in that product. You could also try dairy alternatives such as plant-based products from almond milk, coconut, pea, oat milk. Our next enzyme we're going to talk about is peppermint oil. Peppermint oil is actually marketed to treat irritable bowel syndrome, like abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea, and constipation. You can buy peppermint oil as a liquid or as a capsule, but it's most important to get it enteric-coated, meaning it breaks down a little bit easier. While some studies indicate that peppermint oil in the enteric-coated capsules only will help improve IBS symptoms, there could be some possible side effects. Sometimes it may interfere with certain vitamins, minerals, and medications, and some people also develop heartburn or reflux from it. And our last supplement we're going to discuss is probiotics. They are known as the gut-friendly bacteria. Probiotics are are live bacteria and organisms that provide proper balance and a beneficial bacteria in our GI tracts. There's many common probiotics. They have a therapeutic um, benefit in helping with antibiotic-associated diarrhea, infant colic, irritable bowel syndrome, and ulcerative colitis and or Crohn's disease. But we really don't know which probiotics are most helpful and safe and beneficial because the studies are sort of controversial. For some of my patients, I recommend a reputable probiotic brand that has been researched. So it's most important to ask your physician or dietitian which probiotic they recommend. This is Emily Rubin, dietitian from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and Philadelphia Academy of Dietetics and Nutrition presenting you with the nutrition tip of the week. For more information, you can log on to yourradiodoctor.com
1: and eatright.org. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every
2: year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.
3: This is your radio doctor, Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights Campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at Info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer.
5: Get screened. When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman Orthopedics Physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. Services. Call 1 888 Recovery now. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
3: And welcome back to your radio doctor. Angela, we talked about the variety of uh, choices for anesthesia, and if somebody has uh, stitches, a need for stitches in their hand or or leg or something, you can pretty much numb up an area with topical spray or or a cream um, like lidocaine. And then if somebody has maybe a dislocated shoulder, maybe that's not a good example, but you can block just a limb, right? You can block an arm or a leg or even the the lower half of the body. Mm -hmm. Um, But general anesthesia, that means the person is unconscious. Tell us a little bit about, about that.
4: Well, with general anesthesia, uh, your medicine, your initial medicine is given through an intravenous. Um, it involves a, a, a numbing medicine that goes first, then a sedative, a sedative hypnotic agent that causes the patient to fall asleep. Then after we secure the fact that the patient is asleep, we give a paralytic if a paralytic is required. Uh, Meaning to
3: paralyze their muscles. Correct. So their body, Not, I mean, they're asleep, so they're, chances are they're not going to move, but this keeps their arms and legs still. So if you have them positioned because you're going to operate on their heart, you don't want them dancing to the beat of the music in the OR. Well, they have to be still. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> well, for the heart, you need a little extra paralysis. You do, yes. They, they do something mm-hmm. called cardioplegia that, that washes into the heart and stops it mm-hmm. from uh, beating, but that's a whole other gamut of anesthesia simply and i guess
3: if it, if you have patients who are i'm sorry having an outpatient procedure right. in an even minor surgery in a surgery center or meaning ambulatory you come you have we watch you for uh, you know an hour or so sure. after the procedure make sure you can walk without tripping and that sort of thing and eat and everything versus somebody who has to be admitted overnight there are everyday procedures that some people we do keep overnight to watch them? What what are examples of why somebody would stay overnight versus going home the same day? Well,
4: you want to make sure they don't have pain. uh, Mm It's well controlled. Uh, Make sure that the breathing is okay. uh, So they're monitored a little bit more closely. Let's say for example, somebody is morbidly obese that has sleep apnea, that's having a major abdominal procedure. That would be an example of someone that may require some, you know, further observation, and they shouldn't go home right away. Uh, it, it depends on the procedure itself it depends on the patient's body habitus their comorbidities i e what other illnesses they may have such as high blood pressure diabetes uh, renal disease where they may require to have dialysis every other day so these are all relevant aspects of you know, that w- would determine as to whether or not somebody needs to stay overnight or someone can go home on the same mm-hmm. day.
3: And I'm going to tie a few thoughts together. When I started learning and performing uh, upper and colonoscopy, the doctor, we would give the anesthesia, which was mm-hmm. intravenous valium and Demerol, both of which are very heavy, meaning uh, they don't suppress your respirations in a dangerous way. But you, I would compare it to when you're finished for a day or so, you walk around like, olive oil in the Popeye cartoons. You're just dreamwalking. But when we moved on to propofol, people would say, gosh, isn't that what took the life of Michael Jackson? Is it safe? And what I always tell them is, and you've explained it well, you're the doctor overseeing a few rooms. In each room is a highly skilled, highly trained, previous history of intensive care, unit care, and now two and a half years of training to become a nurse anesthetist, so in actuality, it's safer than it used to be because we used to do everything: we would provide sedation, do the procedure, watch the monitors, and um, it. I think it's so much safer, and I, and I'm, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that the nurse anesthetist background. So, what do you tell people with propofol? That question: Can it hurt me?
4: Well, the propofol is not a take-home drug, right? Uh, so, therefore, if somebody is having a propofol sedation is one of the safest drugs provided by a a skilled individual that has the background in providing sedation. Right. It's not a drug that you take home. It's not a drug that is given by many types of physician. It's very restricted in its use. It has to be given by a provider that has training in airway management. As we talked about earlier, everybody's is is different in in how they process drugs how they how much need for a specific drug they may have so therefore we don't know exactly we can guesstimate by their history as to how much they'll need and how much they weigh however not everyone discloses everything that they need to tell us right sometimes they tell us that they really require more and that you know they they're not a cheap date and 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 you know they they need extra So you listen to them and you give a little extra and then they start breathing. So you have to help them breathe for a little while. Unless you have that skill, they're going to be in trouble.
3: And experience. You have such a broad experience because you cover endoscopy, but you cover the operating room. And heart surgery is going to require different anesthesia than uh, hip replacement. And I think, too, what uh, people can learn from listening to you is we're very careful and it would be my role uh, as, or a surgeon's role to say, listen, we have you scheduled for next Tuesday at 7.30, your procedure, I want you here at six o'clock, NPO after midnight, which is Latin for nothing by mouth. I think it's nil per us, meaning nada. And yes. that doesn't mean you come in drinking a bottle of water because you think you're fasting. It means zero, even if somebody comes in chewing gum or sucking a piece of hard candy, they're creating saliva, which they drink, which fills their stomach. People need to know that, or pay, you know, potential patients need to know, you're going to be lying on your side or your back, and we don't want that fluid to reflux into your throat and have you <gasps> aspirate it, get pneumonia, or worse, die. So nothing by mouth means put that zipper right across your lips, nothing. You can brush your teeth. Um, you can take prescription meds, right, Angela? You tell people, How many hours in advance with a teeny weeny sip of water? If it's a cardiac or a blood pressure med, right?
4: Two hour interval Mm -hmm. before their procedure. Clear uh, uh, water is okay to take a pill. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
4: If you're having an endoscopy, you need way more time than that. An upper endoscopy only because the the, the pill is not going to have a time to dissolve and, and be absorbed. So sure. and, and, and you know, when you go down with your scope, you will suction it all out so they won't mm-hmm. get the benefit of the pill. So mm-hmm. for endoscopy, I would say at least four to six hours prior to, mm. to take your pill and with, with some water. Now, oftentimes we get mm-hmm. individuals that come in from a nursing home facility and you know, we ask how they receive their medicine and sometimes they tell us with applesauce, that's the only way they can take it. Mm. So that, that means that now from that point that they they were given that medicine, the applesauce being a solid, not a clear liquid, gives them an eight-hour window to so they can have the procedure. Oh. I think a lot. Of the, it's a there's a misunderstanding. Sure. That people have when we tell them, you know, uh, you can have this, that, but not the, not the other. And by right. that, I mean, I mean this. You can have clear liquids in most instances. Clear, something you can see through, like water, apple juice, cranberry juice. These are clear liquids up to mm. two hours from most procedures, prior to most procedures. The solids, anything solid, anything you can't see through, like coffee with cream, for example, it's right. considered as solid. So therefore, you're looking at eight hours minimum. Right. You mentioned, and is that,
3: I'm going to interrupt you for one second. Sure. I always tell my patients, what I've learned from my anesthesia colleagues is that, if you aspirate milk, if you aspirate dairy, you are gonna burn the daylights out of your lungs. It is a liquid, but it's the damage it can do. Am I right about that?
4: There's more to it. And this is this is the the uh the, the crux of it. You mentioned the candy, you mentioned, you mentioned the gum, you mentioned milk. The candy and the gum, when they go when it goes to the mouth, it causes your glands to generate bicarb. Bicarbonate goes into your stomach and the stomach makes acid, thinking it's fooled that you're eating something, so it makes acid to digest it. Have you ever drank something and you realize that it went down the wrong pike and you coughed it up? Sure. That reflex is gone under anesthesia. So, therefore, whatever is in your stomach can go to your lungs, like you mentioned. And that's the pathway.
3: Yeah. And after a procedure, an outpatient that we're going to let you go home, do not think you can take, I don't want to say name brand, call a service that drives you home. What if they take you to Alaska instead of Alabama? We are responsible for your safety. You can call a driving service, but you must have a responsible adult. Friend or family member with you, so you, you cannot drive for twenty four hours, even if you feel awake. That's the trick with propofol. Propofol is beautiful because you wake up and you feel like nothing happened, but meds can rebound. That's what we say. You might feel wide awake at one o'clock and four o'clock. You go from kitchen to bathroom and forget what the purpose of your trip was. So, um and plus, if you you try to drive later in the day and you are in an accident, a you have to live with that, and b if you don't get hurt, but somebody else's does not good. Um, you can't drink alcohol for 24 hours. And again, you can't leave alone. Um, what else would you add to those going home instructions?
4: It's important to bring an adult with you. Yeah. Um, you can take a cab with an adult, correct to supervise. It's important to make sure that uh, you have a ride home. And, and it's also important, even though you feeling like your normal self, Do not drive, because if you're in an accident and you're tested, you're driving under the influence.
3: Exactly. Great for people to hear. We'll be right back after this break.
0: Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no copays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating. Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait, visit ibxmedicare.com/star.
2: Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal.
0: This is a paid endorsement.
3: And in our final segment of Your Radio Doctor, we're learning so much about anesthesia. Angelo, spinal anesthesia, the teeny needle enters through two vertebrae in the back near the spinal cord. Two questions. If a person is taking a blood thinner, can he or she still have spinal anesthesia? And the second question, can that tiny needle damage the spinal cord? Well, those are really
4: good questions. Uh, very relevant. Um, the spinal anesthesia is is appropriate as long as the individual that takes a blood thinner, uh, for example, uh, Plavix, Coumadin, Pradaxa, Eliquis, Zeralta, any of those blo- uh, blood thinners, if they're as they're called, uh, is discussed with their cardiologist or their vascular uh, doctor, and and get the okay from them to make sure that it's okay to stop them. Mm-hmm. Step one. Step two, if they get the okay to stop them, it requires a significant amount of time and it varies from drug to drug. Uh, it, for example, Coumadin uh, is, is about a, a five day stop. Uh, Plavix is seven days, uh, Pradoxa is five days, and Eliquis and, and Zarelta are both three days. So because the drugs are all different, you know that they still have to get the permission from their physician to make sure that it's okay for them to stop. Oftentimes, they have severe heart disease and they can't stop the drugs. So that would make the spinal and, and, and non-entity. It, it would not happen. Uh, it's possible that if they go in and not disclose that they're taking these drugs, they can get uh, uh, injuries and a spinal hematoma because the blood, once the needle comes out, would coagulate, would make a clot. So it would make it would keep. Uh, piling in the area that they punctured to make a, a, a distension actually a, and cause significant back pain.
1: Yeah.
3: So
4: it's in their best interest to disclose that they are on, on, on the a yeah. blood thinner and when they stopped it.
3: And I think too, even in regular procedures, when I hear that a person is on a blood thinner because of AFib or something, um, we get the, we ask the ordering physician, can I stop it or not? And number two, um, if it's not safe to have them off a blood thinner, then there are backups we put them in the hospital and keep them on heparin for a couple of days whatever it is that we can turn off its effect wears off in 4 hours turn it off we have a little window do our thing and put them back on very quickly if a child's having an elective procedure like insertion of ear tubes what do sure. you tell the mom or dad
4: in terms of it type of anesthesia look at yes and, it, and I
3: think your uh, your idea of asking if it's a pediatric anesthesiologist maybe that was my question
4: well, that's very relevant. You want to make sure that someone who's is going to be managing their airways has experience. In addition to pediatric anesthesiologists, we have nurse anesthetists that also have a subspecialty in, and in, in peds. So they're trained, they do a lot more training with little ones like newborns, for example,
0: mm-hmm. and,
4: and they can, and they can manage those kids under the supervision of, of an anesthesia pro, an anesthesia provider. So the team is what makes it work. Uh, you have to have a competent team that's going to keep that patient safe and uh, return that baby back to uh, his or her mom.
3: And if you were to give our listeners a website to read about, read more about anesthesia, or some parting words, what would they be?
0: Hmm.
4: Parting words. Uh, what you need to know is that under anesthesia, in in the appropriate care, you should be sleepy comfortable, uh, entirely unconscious if you're having a general uh, and safe. Um, para español, bajo anestesia, dependiendo del procedimiento y su dormido o inconsciente, cómodo y seguro. En telicá, en uh, eje de anestesia, de menos, nice
3: now the only thing i know how to say in greek is what's cooking um, <laughs> but that was beautiful <laughs> I love it (laughs) angelo thank you for joining us i i know our listeners learn so much and these are important questions and we want to remind people always and you should really carry a list of your medications carry a list even um gosh what am i trying to say put it in plastic whatever that word is i forget (laughs) so that pardon that's the big people words can you say that in greek say that in greek for us (laughs) So, that in an emergency, especially in the ER or you're nervous, you never want to forget to tell people all the meds, even over the counter. Thank you, Angelo. You're a superstar. We really appreciate your visiting today.
4: It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Now,
2: your real champion, presented by the Rothman Orthopedic
7: Institute.
3: And now for your real champions. I call this, Mending Broken Hearts. From the time I was a little girl, I always wanted to be a mommy. For those who are blessed with children, there is no greater joy. And for those who lose a child, there's no deeper sadness. No one ever wants to receive that phone call to hear their child has been seriously injured or worse, has passed away. Laurie Burstein Maxwell and her husband, Lee Maxwell, know the heartache of losing a child. Their 18-year-old son, Dan, was a three-sport athlete at Radnor High School, first in his class to enter the gifted program. But in junior year, he felt like something was wrong. He wondered if he had ADHD, but that didn't fit. He was in the National Honor Society with an almost perfect math SAT score. Here was a young man who had it all. Athletics, stellar grades, lots of friends. The happy kid who was never home was now always at home isolated, feeling like an alien. He spoke openly about his feelings to his parents. They took him to doctors, found a day program, even a 10-day stay in the hospital. No therapy could convince him to go to prom or even graduation. But to his credit, he never missed a lacrosse practice or game because he didn't want to disappoint his team. A few short weeks into the summer, he lost his life to suicide. His dear mother, Laurie, said it was nearly impossible to believe and said, the grief washed over me and inside of me. I didn't want to be here. It was hard for her to function, but very quickly, people came to support her. People she didn't even know came to take care of her. One of them was another mother who also lost her scholar-athlete son to suicide. And when Laurie met her, she realized that she had to experience her grief and not push it away. And with time... Her new mission, the D-MAX Foundation. Dan's lacrosse teammates gave him the nickname D-MAX. Despite his success in school, at the same time, Dan struggled with mental illness. He felt like he couldn't share that with his peers. Laurie and Lee looked back and believed that if there had been an opportunity for Dan to talk about his depression, he might still be here today. The mission of the D-MAX Foundation is to eliminate the stigma of mental illness and create safe spaces where, quote, friends help friends. Students talk about their struggles without judgment, support each other through conversations that matter, education, and activities, helping to strengthen mental health and emotional well being. The foundation has established DMAX clubs on several college campuses. Club student leaders are trained to actively listen, learn about campus emergency procedures recognize the need for a referral and how to make one, and avoid engaging in therapy. Even before the pandemic, there was a visible mental health crisis on college campuses, but COVID has led to an even greater need to support our young people. Laurie says that her work with the foundation is what has kept her alive. She and Lee hope to see the fruits of their labor become a source of refuge for students across the country and prevent heartbreaking losses in other families. We salute you, Laurie Burstein-Maxwell and Lee Maxwell, your real champions. Visit their website, dmaxfoundation.org. Learn how to start a club at your college or your son or daughter's college. See videos with messages from club student leaders. April 20, their annual educational virtual event at 530. It is a great program Learn all about it and starting a club at the website, DMAX Foundation. That's max with one X, org. A special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America and Rothman Orthopedic Institute. Thank you for listening every week. Listen to any of our shows again on com. I'd love to hear from you. Send an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Tell me about a topic you'd like us to discuss. Share the story of a champion. A special thank you to Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor Fetterman and Pennsylvania State Senator Michelle Brooks for their warm Senate welcome last Wednesday, March 30th. I was their honored guest for the Senate session where Senator Brooks presented two resolutions, one for March as Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month And the second for the Blue Lights campaign that every state capital was shining in blue during March this year. Thank you for a great visit. But more importantly, thank you for helping us to save lives. Friends, there is a critical national shortage of blood. Please consider donating your blood. Website, redcross.org. And now I have to whisper. I have to sneak away to buy candles and a big cake for someone very special. Yes, it's happy birthday to my wonderful, adorable, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious husband, Stewie, also known as Big Daddy, or as he prefers, Big Rib, because he's a certified barbecue judge. Happy birthday. God bless you. I love you. Friends, have a beautiful, safe, happy week. And in the words of Jed Clampett, y'all come back now. You hear? Okay, I guess that sounded a little more like Ellie Mae. But always remember that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit YourRadioDoctor.com. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no copays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no copays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com/star. Every year,
2: Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement.